good to have you tonight, those of you that are joining us by, uh, uh, on the internet. Thank you for being with us. Uh, there's plenty here, and I've introduced myself to these people, but let me introduce myself to you. I'm Michael Gay. I'm a retired pastor that, who's a member of Mount Airy here, and the pastor is away tonight. He's asked me to cover for him, and I just want to welcome you. It's good to be with you, good to have this opportunity with you. Now, the pastor gave me a choice tonight. He said I could continue in Malachi, or I could do anything else I wanted to do. Hmm. That could be interesting, couldn't it? No, no in all honesty, I've learned a long time ago that when God's leading in a certain direction, you don't try to change it. It never goes well. So we're going to continue in Malachi. We'll be in chapter 2 of Malachi, if you open your Bibles there. If you go to Matthew and then go left, it's the next book over. It's the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. Before we get into the scripture itself tonight, there's a couple of things I want to say at the very beginning so that we're all together. And The first one is this. The principles we're talking about from the scripture tonight are spoken of in the scripture as speaking to the man, to the husband. But I want you to know that the principles apply to both man and woman. See, in that day, the man, let me say it like this, the woman was property of the man. And the woman didn't have many rights in the marriage. Didn't have many at all. And so it was the man that was doing the sinning that we're going to talk about tonight. And God lays out certain principles that they need to repent of their sin and follow. But these principles in our day and time apply to both the man and the woman because we're seen as more equal partners in marriage. And we have more rights in marriage. And the principles apply to both spouses. So please understand that as we go through the scripture. Secondly, understand that God is speaking to his people. We cannot expect people who do not know God, people who have not come to Jesus Christ and understand fully who God is, we cannot expect them to live by the principles of God. But God does expect his own people to live by them. And we should expect that too. Not in an angry way or a derogatory way, but in a way that as the grace and truth that Jesus Christ showed, okay? And that brings me to one other thing. One of the subjects we'll be talking about tonight is divorce. Now, this is one scripture that talks about it. Now, there's other scriptures that talk about divorce, and I will bring some of them in near the end of tonight just so you can get a clear, full picture of how how the Bible talks about it. I plan to do that if everything goes according to plan. But what God says here, we need to hear very clearly. It's something that sometimes I think we have failed to hear. And so tonight, we will take a look at it, and we will do our best as God's people to align our lives with his will through the spoken word that reveals his truth to us. Okay? 
Now, if you'll turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, we'll go begin in verse 13. Now, I'm picking up right where the pastor left off last week. He talked about the first sin that the men of uh, Judah was committing and that God called them to repent on and that he condemned them for. He would not uh, receive their sacrifice because of it. That means that he did not receive their worship because of it. And that first sin was that they were marrying foreign women. See, they had covenanted with God to be apart as his people, uh, to be set apart unto God. And as they married foreign women, they were led away into worship of other gods and things like this. Uh, And God was trying to keep that from happening too. That's the sin that the pastor talked about last week, and he went into it very clearly. I thought it was an excellent um, handling of the Scripture. Now, today we're going to look at the second one. Now, he mentioned it last week, but he did not have time to get into it, really. He didn't have time to, to look at the Scripture very closely. Uh, his time kind of ran out on him, which it does for preachers quite often. Now, tonight, I hope you'll get out a little bit soon. Now, just did I make you all happy? Okay. Uh, I hope you will. But then again, you never know. I am a preacher, so... Uh, If you really want that, you better pray for it, okay? (laughs) Now, uh, if you look at verse 13, let's jump into it. And remember, this is the second sin that God is speaking to them about. Another thing you do, God says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hand. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and your wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now, the second sin is that they were divorcing their wives that they married as a young age, uh, the Jewish wives, in order to marry these foreign women. They were frivolously, that word will come out sooner or later, uh, because they were caught up in some things that were very, very wrong. Now, before we get into this sin a little bit more that they're doing, let me point up something that God says at the very, when he says, why? The Lord is acting as the witness between you. You see, what you see here is that the Lord acts as a witness within marriage. He does. Marriage for believers is not a private matter, nor is it a personal convenience, but a solemn covenant before God that he is constantly watching those and witnessing how they're carrying out that covenant. Okay? And the obligation of that covenant is not to be disregarded in a frivolous manner. See, the Jewish men, they were marrying these pagan women, which was breaking the covenant with God, and they were divorcing divorcing their wives that they had married early in life 
And the reason they were doing that was probably because of lust and prestige. See, these women that they were marrying were younger women. And they were also from other countries. And you got to understand that uh, the Jews were under the rule of other countries at this time. The other countries had all the power. They had all the money. They had all the prestige. And these women would be women who were probably somewhat more beautiful because they were younger. They were probably richer. They had more prestige in society and all of this. So it was probably a lust thing and a prestige thing that led them to act in this way. I guess another way of saying this is that casual divorce had become the norm and accepted in society. Now, does that sound familiar? It's just like our day. Even in our churches sometimes, divorce seems to be taken somewhat lightly. You've, you've probably heard the reasoning that I'm about to share. You've heard somebody with it, I would think. I heard it for 37 years as I pastored almost, almost every year, I would think. But it goes something like this. A person says, God wants me to be happy. He wants my life to be fulfilled. He wants me to enjoy the life he's given me. And then when somebody accepts that, when they uh, agree with that assessment, they go on to say this, and I'm not happy in my marriage. Therefore, God wouldn't want me to stay in this situation. He wants me to get out, I'm sure. That's the way they justify their actions. But it's based upon a lie straight from Satan. It really is. See, God wants us to be happy. That is true. God wants us to enjoy the life he's given us. That is true. The scripture is clear on that. But he wants us to be happy through doing what is right. In fact, he teaches us that that's the way happiness comes to us. That's where true happiness is found, in doing what is right, in being faithful as God is faithful. You know, happiness is not found in satisfying every desire and every wish in a given moment of time. Happiness comes by doing what God has established is right. That's where it comes from. Someone I read recently said this, and I think it's very true. He said, the church of Jesus Christ today is governed more by psychology than theology. Let me try to explain that. Psychology has to do with how I feel about myself. Theology has to do with what God says about himself. You see, God says, and one of the things he says about himself, and he's saying it here in this scripture very, very clearly. He's saying, I am a covenant-keeping God, and I expect my people to make covenants and keep them. 
But psychology replies like this. It says, you may be a covenant God, but I'm not happy with the way things are going for me. I am more concerned about how things are going in this moment than about things, about doing things according to your principles, God. That's exactly what some people say. Now, I am a, I firmly believe that we must come back to the time, if it ever was true, we must come back to the point that our psychology is governed by our theology rather than allowing psychology to alter our theology. We have to be careful about that. We have to understand what God says about himself, and we have to allow that to inform our lives, inform our action, inform our thinking, control our hearts. That's the whole key. And God says, I am a covenant-keeping God. We saw that last week as the pastor was sharing. I am a covenant-keeping God, and I expect my people to be covenant-keeping people. We have to do that. To do that, we have to throw out the lies of Satan. You see, one of the big lies of Satan is this. You got to choose between righteousness or happiness. You got to choose between those two things. But that's a big lie. God says it's not one or the other, but it's happiness through righteousness that he leads us to. These men of this day, they had forgotten that. And they were acting the way they had come to want to act because of what they were looking at with their eyes and wanting with their hearts in a given moment of time. We have to be careful about that. We have to be very careful about that. Now, if you look in verse 15, Now, one of the reasons, let me go back in, to this verse 13 and through 14 for just a moment. One of the reasons that God is a witness in marriage is because he's the one who marries us as believers. He's the one that makes us one. Look at verse 15. It says this, has not God made them one in flesh and spirit are they they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself and your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. See, Malachi is building his case against divorce by going back to the Genesis account of creation. One man, one woman for life brought together by God. He makes them one physically and spiritually. God does that for believers. We don't do that. We don't make ourselves one. God does that. He is the witness at a marriage ceremony of two believers, and he's the one that brings that about. Now, please understand. How can we expect someone who doesn't know God to understand that? 
we need to be clear and live a certain way so that they can understand that this is true. That God does this miracle working for us. Now, notice that just like Malachi went back to creation for his talk about divorce, so did Jesus. If you look in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, just hold your finger on chapter 2 there, Malachi. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and let's look in verse 6. You see, Jesus does the same thing. He goes back to creation. Look at what he says. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. You see, from the beginning. He goes back to creation just like um, Malachi does. And he says, I tell you, uh, excuse me, um, I tell you from, uh, that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery. God said, G- Jesus says that's the way God created it to be at the very beginning. One man, one woman for life because he's the one that brings us together into oneness. Now, it's hard for us to understand oneness uh, completely. It doesn't mean we always think exactly alike. It doesn't mean we always act exactly alike. It doesn't mean we're going to see everything in the same perspective as the the spouse does. But it does mean there's a unity there that should not be broken. There's a striving follow God together. There's a warning to fulfill God's will for this family together. Now, why did God do it as one man and one woman? That's what is asked here. Why did he do that? Why did he make it one woman and one man at, at creation. He could have made it two women or two men or six men or whatever he wanted to do. He was God. Why did he make it one woman and one man? What's the answer given there? Look. Look at the next words. It says, why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. You see, God wants children who know about him and love him and come to him, submit to him, know the Lord Jesus Christ, and walk with him in life. He wants children who come to faith through the family. He wants that. And there is, has never been, and there is not today, any environment that is better than a f- one man, one woman, leading a family under God, being brought together by God, being made one by God, and leading a family out of that oneness. There is nothing on this earth that is a better environment for children to come to know God and walk with Him in His love and His faith. Now, I I realize something. I realize that statement I just made would be contradicted almost everywhere you go in in our society today. 
It's contradicted in our colleges. It's contradicted in some high schools. It's contradicted in our political world. It's contradicted in business. It's contradicted in media. It's contradicted in every way. They've got four or five different solutions that is just as good as a husband and wife under God leading a family and rearing children under that. I know that's what's being said out there. I hear it and see it just as much as you do. Let me tell you something. The truth that God has established One man, one woman for life that he has made one together. That's God's truth. See, we as believers, we're part of the church. And in each step of our lives, we have to stop and think, what does God say? What is his truth that we base our lives upon? We have to do that. Now, before I go any further, if you have been through a divorce, I love what the pastor said last week. I'm saying it again. If you have been through a divorce, you do not wear a scarlet letter on your forehead. You do not God can take almost any situation that is surrendered to him. And if you will surrender your life to him, God can rebuild you and a family, a relationship so much through his grace and forgiveness. We all have to live by that. Maybe we haven't been through a divorce, but I guarantee you we've done some sin somewhere. Every single one of us. And a church should never look down on people who have experienced a divorce. We have to be truthful and share the truth. But we must always relate out of the grace of God. The possibilities of his forgiveness and his redemption of all things that surrender to him. And nothing angers me more and the put down of people who have been hurt so badly. I'm not sure there's much in life other than maybe losing a child that can hurt as much as having a spouse reject you. Want to leave. I've been with people who have cried their hearts out. And we have to understand and love and help. It's true. We have, to, we have to share the truth. And we want to do that. Remember, the scripture says, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We hold them both together. Never one or the other. Always together. Okay? So, please understand that. Now, getting back to what God has established his truth here for that believers should seek to follow. And 
something I wanted to say about this is we were talking about the children in a family being reared by a husband and wife under God's leadership. When that does not work out and divorce comes in, believe me, children are hurt. They do face struggles. Now, please understand, those struggles can be dealt with with the help of God. Most certainly, they can be. But we have to understand that divorce does hurt other people too around us. Children are some of those. This is, this is why God says to us as believers, now listen, he's speaking to his people. As believers, he says, guard yourself in your spirit. What's that mean? What does it mean to guard yourself in your spirit? Well, first of all, it means that any of us can fall if we don't. Any of us cannot live up to his truth if we don't guard ourselves. It's something we have to take initiative in, something we have to do. But what does it mean? It means guard your thinking. Be careful what you let in as truth. Be careful what you come to believe as truth. Guard against being led astray by feelings that are momentary and change so easily. Be careful about that. Guard yourself. Know what emotions are. They come and go. Don't remain the same. Stay true to what you know God has said as much as you possibly can. Now, none of us are perfect in that. But when you start struggling with something that you may have led into your heart and mind, always go to God. God, help me to see truth here. Help me to feel truth here. Go to Him. That's what guarding is. It's taking action. Sometimes against your own self. To, and, but also against other influences around. Be very careful. Guard yourself in your spirit. Now the spirit of man is that which he relates to God through. In the scripture, that's what the spirit refers to. It's that part of man through which he relates to God. So... What he's saying is on your deepest level within your being, the level that you and God commune with, guard it. Because if you don't, you can fall just as easily as anybody else can. And then he says, do not break faith with your wife. It's a covenant. Now, Let's understand something. Divorce is not the only way you break faith with your wife or your spouse. I should say your spouse because it applies to both here, husband and wife. I think breaking of faith can start with pornography, for example. It can start with unchristian novels. 
can start with fantasizing about someone at work or at school or something like that. That's where the breaking of faith begins. It's when we let these things creep into our lives. We have to be real careful, particularly in this society that we're living in now, okay? And then if you look in verse 16, God becomes very clear. He has the prophet speak in words that cannot be denied, okay? He says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Okay, God says he hates two things here. One is the breaking of the marriage covenant. He hates that. It's called divorce. He, he, he does hate that. Now, let me share with you that there are other scriptures. We read one earlier that God has made some concessions concerning divorce. One is unfaithfulness. Jesus, uh, Matthew, in two places, chapter 5 and chapter 19, mentions unfaithfulness as a grounds for divorce. He does. Now, Matthew is the only one that puts that phrase in, those, in there, but he does. He does put it there. So that's one. Now, I also think in my applying of the Scripture, this is Mike. I love to say, I point out, Mike and God are not the same. You have to struggle with this, and you have to come to your own heart before God. But he calls you to struggle and listen to him and come to it. The second thing he hates is when he says a man, and I say a man or a woman, covers themselves with violence as he covers with a garment. Now, that phrase, covered with a garment, was one of the ways they did marriage. The man took his garment and put it around the woman to indicate she is his wife. That was one of the things they did during a marriage ceremony back in this day. And that's what he's referring to here. And so what he's talking about is violence within the marriage relationship. Abuse, in other words. God hates it just like he hates divorce. So if a man is dominant of his wife and slaps her around, says, you can't divorce me because God told you not to, God hates that. He hates abuse within the marriage, marriage relationship. I personally believe that God does not expect someone to live underneath that. Physical abuse, uh, is a breaking of the covenant too. That's why God hates it. We have to understand that. We have to relate to each other out of the Spirit of God. We all say things and do things that we wish we hadn't in the marriage relationship, haven't we? Is there anyone here who's never done that? And you married for more than 30 minutes? My wife can give you a few examples of things that I have done that I regret. Moment of anger, 
moment of confusion, moment of hurt. So how do we deal with something that we do wrong like that? First thing we do is we take it to God. Let me let you in on something here. I've got time to do this. We had been married, I guess, for about a year, maybe two years. And my wife, in a time of clarity, looked at me. She says, I hate you. I didn't know what to do with that. Here I was, a minister at this time. I was in my first church. My wife looks at me and she says that. What do you think I did? First thing I did, I left the room. You remember that? I left a room and I got on my knees before God and I said, God, something's wrong here and I don't know what it is. But I must be wrong somewhere. Help me. Help me understand it. Then I went back in to where my wife was and I said, Glenda, you've got to talk to me now. You've got to tell me what's going on here. And she began to open up how when things went wrong, I would take charge. See, that's the, I came from a troubled family, and I learned at a very early age that I had to take care of myself. And, and when things went wrong, I had to take charge and deal with things for my sake in that relationship. And it worked for me. As a, as a young person, uh, up through teenage years and things like that, it worked. But not in a marriage relationship. Because it's putting her totally down and running over her. As I listen to her, I begin to hear. Then I took what she said back to God and I said, God, help me. And He began to show me how my past was affecting me. Oh, I, I had truth, all right. I didn't have the grace very much. And I had to come through seminary. Praise God, God has helped. Am I perfect? No. Not like that, I don't think. Am I, honey? I'm glad you shook her head, no. (laughs) No, I'm serious here. But this is what I'm talking about. We've got to be very careful in our relationships. And the husband and wife next to God, it's the number two covenant of our lives. The first covenant is with God. He's our God, and we are his people. Second is with our wife of our youth. We are one under God and whatever deals with comes against that oneness 
We have to listen to God and deal with it. That makes sense. But hear me well. Abuse is not something that God tolerates. This society, there's too much of it. Hopefully not in the church. But I have seen some in the church. My 37 years of pastoring. Okay, uh, let me close with this. I am going to let you out early. Hey, somebody's been praying pretty good tonight. Thank you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, hear what the Lord says about guard yourself and your spirit and don't, don't break faith with him or your spouse. Now, he's talking to us as believers. The whole world will never come to that apart from God. Understand that. So don't try to preach to others about this without first talking about Jesus with them. Does that make sense? Give them the ability to understand it. And always blend the two, grace and truth. Always. And so, I say to you again, if you have been through a divorce, you are not judged by the fellowship of this church or other churches. Not I don't know, there may be an individual somewhere that sits on one of these pews that does that. But I guarantee you, they're out of the will of the Father if they do it. But, when you talk to your children, when you talk to each other, hold up the truth of God. God hates divorce. We cannot lessen that. Okay? He does. But all things can be redeemed through God's grace and God's power. Trust Him. Trust Him. Okay? Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you for the prophet Micah, or Malachi. Father, I thank you for him. I thank you that you have been clear through him because of sin that was taking place in your people's lives. Father, help your church to hear well, not just tonight, but in the days coming, the truth that you have laid before us that you do want us to be happy, but happy through righteousness, through doing what is right, as you have ordained it. Help us to see that that's the way you seek to bless us, the rules are not to, to cause us hardship, but to bring happiness to us. Help us, Father. And help us to live this way before others that they can see that truly you are a loving God. That you do care for people in all walks of life. That through Christ you can redeem. That's why he died. Now I ask, Father, that you help us to proclaim that well. 
if there is a husband and wife here tonight or listening who's having difficulty, Father, don't let them close in to their own self. Make them communicate, Father. Help them to understand how to and to be honest with themselves and with each other. Now, Father, we trust you for your grace and your mercy and your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good night, everyone. Thank you for being here.